With the growth of technology in recent years, the promise had always been that our world was going to be more connected than ever. And yet, what many of us have found is that our world has become more impersonal than ever with technology. Just take a few simple examples. We use the self-checkout line at the grocery store. And we don't have to interact with the person. We can just boop, beep, boop, boop on the screen. We shop online. And so we don't have to speak to anyone at a store. We just are online, click, it gets dropped at our house. These and many other transactions have been separated from personal relationships. That we have been trained by technology to get down to business And just get what we need for ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. I do enjoy these conveniences. But we can run into problems when this impersonal, transactional attitude shapes how we view God. We can be tempted to think, what do I need to get out of this interaction with God in my life? Well, I need to avoid Hell, that would be a big one. And I need to be assured of life in heaven. And so what do I need to do to do that? Okay, I need to pay God my belief in Jesus, and then I will receive these things at some point in my account, I guess. And we view things in a very transactional sort of way. Now, maybe some of you want a little bit more from God than that, than just getting out of hell and getting to go to heaven. And so you find other transactions that I will read the Bible to get some insight for myself. I will listen to some sermon to be comforted or uplifted. I will pray to God when I need something and then I will receive it. And we can view our relationship with God as impersonal and transactional. We try to get what we want efficiently with minimal, like small talk and time together. But when we are saved by God, we do not merely receive things in a transaction. It is not only about the benefits we can get from God. Salvation is far more than a transaction. We are saved into a relationship with the God who saves us. And so in our passage this morning, Paul is pointing us to this relationship with God and how that is greater than any of the benefits we can actually receive from Him. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're continuing our series in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. We are in chapter 5. We are in verses 1 through 5 today. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Let us hear the Word of God, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for this reading of Your Holy Word. We pray that You would bless the reading and preaching of Your Word today. I humbly ask, O God, that You would use me to faithfully proclaim Your Word, to convey what You say here and the truths found there within. And I ask, O God, that You would open our ears to hear them, to understand them, that You would open our hearts and minds to gladly receive them, to trust in them, to receive them joyfully. O Lord, Spirit, work through Your Word, for Your Word is powerful. It is living and active. God, accomplish Your purposes today through this hearing and preaching of Your Word. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So thinking today about this relationship, I want to break our passage down into two major blessings of being in a relationship with God. And we're going to close by essentially asking, what if I don't feel that way? What if I just am not feeling that relationship? So two blessings and then that feeling issue. So the first blessing is mentioned at the beginning of chapter 5, and it is that we have peace with God. So verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that peace comes because of justification, being justified. That's what Paul had talked about in chapters 3 and 4. That's what we looked at the last few months. That because of sin, we are subject to God's holy wrath against us, but God put forth His Son Jesus to atone for our sins, taking God's wrath against us on Himself and then giving to us His own righteousness so we can be accepted in God's sight. That is being justified. Our sins not counted against us. His righteousness counted to us. And that tells us that if we are not justified, there is hostility between us and God. But when we have faith in Jesus and what He has done for us, that hostility is replaced with peace. And Paul makes it abundantly clear this peace is God's doing. He ends verse 1 and starts verse 2 by showing us that. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ through Him. He says it twice. Just like, make sure you hear it two times. The only way that the hostility between us and God can be ended is through what Jesus did on the cross for us. That we cannot make peace with God in any way other than Jesus. So as we hear this today, as we see this, I want you to notice there are two kinds of relationships you can have with God. We are either Sinners who are not at peace with God, who are God's enemies, as we will hear Paul say next week. And in that case, we have aligned ourselves against the all-powerful and all-wise God of the universe who is perfectly good and righteous in all He does. And so we can be in a 
hostile relationship with God where He has every right to judge us in His holy wrath. If that option does not sound good to you, there is another option. And the other option is we can be at peace with God, having been reconciled to Him through what Jesus accomplished for us. But notice that peace is not just the absence of hostility. It's not saying between you and God, all right, we're cool now? Let's go our separate ways. No. Being at peace with God is entering into a right relationship with Him. Enjoying all of the blessings of knowing God. That when we are justified by faith, we go from being an enemy of Almighty God to His friend. I guess you could kind of think of it like this. Imagine going from being at the top of the FBI's most wanted list to having direct access to the President of the United States' personal phone number so that you can go and just hang out in the Oval Office whenever you want. It's a big swing. It's a real big swing there. Most wanted, close friend. That's the kind of change that Paul is describing here in verse 2. That through him... We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That we who trust in Jesus have access to God. Now we can sometimes take this for granted that we can pray directly to God and God not only hears us, but wants to hear us. Why on earth should any of us be able to just say, dear God, and there be a connection. Why should God look at his prayer ID and go, all right, I guess I'll talk to that person. Like, why should he ever do that? It is not because we trust we are deserving of being heard. It is not because we trust that God will answer our phone like three times in life Like he's a genie in a bottle. And we get three requests and we just got better use them well. No. It's because we trust that in God's unfathomable grace, his loving kindness, he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. That it's because of Jesus, through him, we have access to God. And usually it's right here that we start thinking like, whoa, what can I get with this access to God? What transactions can I accomplish if I have a direct line to the God of the universe? Pause. There are good things. But consider that if you are at peace with God and you have access to God, it means you get to know the One who created you and created all the world. You get to know the source of life Himself. You get to commune with the one being in all the world that is perfectly loving, perfectly good, perfectly wise. He is who you have access to. He is better than anything you could ask Him for. Now, maybe we don't think that way. Maybe it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it. So let's use an earthly example. Let's think about the context 
of marriage. Now, a wife could perhaps look at her husband and think, now I have this relationship with this man. I can get from him some of his money and a place to stay in his home. I have someone around the house who maybe can reach the things up high or fix the things that are broken. Boy, this is really handy to have. I enjoy the benefits. Perhaps a husband could look at his wife and think, now I am with this woman. What benefits can I get? Well, perhaps I have someone who is at home with me. Maybe someone who can do some of the things that I am not very good at and will actually be kind to the children when I get frustrated. Yes, those things can be true. Yes, we can get benefits in a relationship. But if you only looked at your spouse as like, man, I'm so glad you do those things. And that's it. That's the only relational connection there was that, hey, you do that, I do this. That's not that great. That's kind of a weird marriage. Marriage is not meant to be a mere transaction. It is meant to be a loving relationship with another person whom you find joy in knowing and spending time with and talking to. Like, I just want to be with you. More than anything you can do for me, I like being with you. And if we get that that's at least how things should be, even if they're not, if we at least get that's how things should be in marriage to the person on earth who is most important to us, who loves us most, how much more should that be true of God? Who is far more important than our spouse and who loves us far more than our spouse. Shouldn't we delight to simply know God more? Now, yeah, you can ask for things that you want and need. Absolutely. But the greatest privilege of access to God is getting to know God. The one who loved us while we were still enemies and reconciled us to himself through Jesus. So that's the first blessing. We're told we have access. We get to know. We are now in relationship with God. The problem is that this blessing of being at peace with God seems at odds with our experience here on earth. That if God loves us, if we are at peace with God, then why do we suffer so much? How can I be at peace with the God who is in control of all things when things seem very out of control? Isn't our suffering a sign that God is not at peace with us? That He is displeased in some way with us? How can we wrestle with peace but a lack of peace? Now these are very good, important questions that every Christian should try to figure out. So why exactly do we feel like suffering is a sign of God's displeasure towards us? Why is that? Two, two reasons I want to point out. The first and most obvious reason is suffering hurts. When we physically suffer, our body responds negatively. I am sure you have felt this. Whether you get like a little paper cut on your finger, whether you break a bone, whether you have the stomach bug and you're hugging the toilet, we feel pain when we suffer. And it is unpleasant. And when we are suffering, all we can think of in our mind is make it stop. Just, that's it. 
Our mind instinctively thinks, make the pain stop. Make the pain stop. Relieve this suffering. Let me return to a feeling of comfort or at least my normal achiness. Please, get me back to where I need to be. And so that's one reason we think that suffering is a sign of God's displeasure. The second and perhaps more important reason is that suffering threatens our hopes for the future. When we suffer a serious disease, we worry, how am I going to enjoy life in the future? When we suffer financially, we worry, what is going to happen to our future if we don't have enough? When we suffer the loss of loved ones in death, our dreams and hopes of a shared future together vanish. And so suffering causes us to doubt if things will be okay in the future. And we think, God just ruined my hopes. But Paul wants us to think of suffering differently. And he wants us to do that by focusing us on our greatest hope. He writes in verse 2, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul says that as people who are justified by faith, as people who are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope in the glory of God. And so our future hope is not ultimately tied to our family, to our spouse, our children, or our grandchildren. Our hope for the future is not ultimately tied to our nation and our freedoms. Our hope for the future is not necessarily tied to our health, our wealth, or anything like that. Our hope for the future is not even tied to this natural life. Our hope is in the fact that God has brought us in relationship to Him and has said that we will be with Him when He makes all things right in the world. That because we are in relationship with Him, His future is our future. And so our hope is in the glory of God. The great revealing of His goodness and power when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead to make all things new. And our hope is that on that day we will stand by God's grace, trusting that our sins have been forgiven and that we have been counted as righteous in Jesus and that we will get to share in God's glory forever and ever. And that hope puts into context all of our present sufferings so that Paul can write this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Paul lays out this sequence to help us understand suffering, but we want to stop him right away and go, I am not going to rejoice in my sufferings, Paul. Not going to do it. Well, he does not say that you need to rejoice that you are suffering. We are never glad to suffer. Suffering is bad. It is painful. But we can rejoice while suffering because we trust that God is working through suffering 
to bring about good purposes. And it's usually at this point we're like, right, but it really hurts. And how is God going to bring good out of this pain? Well, Paul tells us that suffering produces endurance. We understand this concept from the world of exercise. When you lift weights, you cause your muscles to suffer. It hurts. But that suffering produces the endurance to lift more weight more often over time. And so the physical suffering we endure builds our character as we seek holiness more than healthiness. As we prioritize character over comfort. And as suffering threatens those earthly hopes of ours, God helps us to rightly prioritize the glory that is to come over the pleasures of this world. And so perhaps the simplest self-checkup we can give ourselves to ask, am I growing in this hope, is this one question. Are you excited for heaven? Specifically, are you excited to be in the glory of God forever? For many of us, life on this earth is so good that whether we would actually say it, we think heaven can wait. Yeah, we're excited someday, but we have good hopes in this life. And these earthly hopes we have are not necessarily bad things. Not at all. They're quite good things most of the time. But they are also uncertain hopes because they can go away when we suffer. They are hopes that we are not guaranteed. And that is frightening. Like many of you, Abby and I have plans for our life for our kids, Lord willing, our grandkids. As good as those plans are, none of them are certain. We were laughing this morning. This is one of those passages you don't like to preach about because it's like, I don't want to talk about suffering because I don't want to think about us suffering. I don't want to think about our earthly hopes getting dashed. But Paul here, it's not like he's trying to just say, hey, things are going to be really awful. Deal with it. No. He said, yeah, bad things will happen. But you know we got something like really good? Really good. Because Paul points us to the hope of the glory of God that is not only absolutely certain, but it is better than the best earthly hope you can dream up. It is better than your best dream vacation. It is better than your wildest imagination of retired life. It is better than getting to go to your dream college and finding the person, the love of your life to spend the rest of your life with. It is better than all of that. And this better hope is yours if you trust in Jesus. It's yours. Do you rejoice in that hope? Does that hope shape how you view suffering in this life? Is your ultimate hope rooted in God and His glory and His promises. Maybe you don't feel that way. And to be frank, I don't probably feel that way all the time either because our earthly hopes are really good. 
perhaps you trust in Jesus, but you're like, yeah, access to God's nice. I guess I get what you're saying. Those hopes do sound really good. And maybe you're really worried, like, have I missed something? Do I actually care about this hope enough? Do I really have such access to an almighty God? Do I have too transactional of an attitude? Is this a sign I don't really believe? Possibly, but not necessarily. Notice that Paul is writing to believers. He's writing and says, you have been justified by faith, but he still has to remind them of these blessings. That implies that justified people can forget or neglect these blessings in a much lesser way. It would be like going week after week on the meager rations left in your pantry and you can't go to the store and you're down to like, oh, saltines for day three in a row. Only saltines. Only to realize you have a freezer full of delicacies in the basement. You had them the whole time. You just forgot about them. You have these blessings even if you aren't using and experiencing them. And so if you trust in Jesus, you objectively have this relationship with God. It is something that either is there or isn't. It cannot change in your life once you have been brought into that relationship. It is settled and unchangeable as one who has been justified by faith in Jesus. You are saved. You are at peace with God. But we can subjectively experience that relationship with God differently. The experience of God's love can be stronger or weaker. Not because God is wishy-washy, but because we are neglectful and forgetful. And so verse 5 tells us to look to the Spirit for the strengthening of this experience. He says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God pours out His love in us through the Spirit so that we would know and enjoy His love. But we can neglect it. We can neglect this love. Go back to thinking about marriage. If you are married, you are objectively married to your spouse. That status of marriage cannot change, no matter how you feel about each other that day. Some days you may annoy each other. Other days you may be madly in love. That is the subjective experience. And no matter what that subjective experience is, it does not change the objective truth that you are married. When it comes to our relationship with God, the objective fact cannot change, even though the subjective experience can. But this lack of love that we experience is never God's fault. It is us failing to seek out the God who has shown such great love to us in Christ. And so today, as we come to the table, as we hear the Word, As we pray to the Lord today, let us look to God for His own sake. Not wanting to get something from Him, but wanting Him. Wanting to know Him. To know His love more and more. Let us go to His Word. God, tell me about Yourself. Tell me what Your love for me is like. 
Let me worship you and have my heart filled with joy for being with you. Let me fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me be among his people to hear from others about your goodness, O God. Let us delight in the love of God at the table today, receiving his grace and reminding us that it's because of Jesus we are welcome at the table of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your many blessings. But more than that, we thank you for you. God, you want to know us. And you want us to know you. Lord, we can't see you. We can't audibly hear a voice booming from heaven. We cannot touch the flesh of Jesus as those did who walked long ago. And so having a relationship with you can feel hard and weird and uncertain. But you tell us in your word that those who trust in you and hope in you will never be put to shame. The weirdness will never outweigh the blessing of knowing you. The awkwardness of telling others about this Jesus we know will never outweigh the joy of knowing your love. And so, God, pour out your love on us through the Spirit and help us to know you and your love for us more and more each day. In Jesus' name, amen.